the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We have a really cool show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be and talking with, speaking with Michigan Senator Mallory McMurrow, who went just recently to Israel. We're going to talk about senators of Michigan going to Israel. It's a, it's a really cool thing. Second half hour of the show, we'll have some insights into the portion of Shoftim, which can be found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16. We've got Really great music scattered throughout the show. A wonderful Hasidic story all the way at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Acts of violence by Palestinians against Israelis were too numerous this week to mention. There were dozens of rock-throwing incidents and many drive-by shootings at cars and buses. But, we'll just take a name a few, a security guard was shot and killed, another wounded in central Tel Aviv by a terrorist from Islamic Jihad. The terrorist was killed. Three terrorists from Jenin were killed by IDF soldiers as the three were on their way to carry out an attack in central Israel. In other news... Israel airlifted about 200 Israelis and potential immigrants from the war-tone province of Andahar in northern Ethiopia. They were flown to the capital city of Addis Ababa, and many continued on to Israel. In more local news, federal agents arrested a white supremacist from West Virginia who threatened jurors and witnesses in the trial of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter, which ended last week in a death sentence for the shooter. I am very glad federal agents are up on such things. 
Shlomo Danziger, the Orthodox Jewish mayor of Surfside, Florida, received credible death threats from a neo-Nazi group and is now under police protection. Israel established diplomatic ties with the island nation of Niu. Niu is the westernmost island of the Cook Islands and is a self-governing state in New Zealand. It is smaller than Detroit has 1,600 people living there, and is best known as the largest coral island in the world. Correction, we'll end off on a correction. It was reported here last week that Israel is spending $2 billion for a high-speed rail that would connect Kiryat Shmona in the north with Elat in the south. We apologize for the error. The cost will be somewhere near $27 billion. The seven fell off. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have a little musical entertainment to start off the today's show. This song is Naftali Kempa, who actually has been around for a little bit on the scene. I haven't, don't think I've ever played anything of his, but this song is Ashrechem, is Lucky Those People Who Get to Learn the Torah. <laughs>
Assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Lately, I've been finding some very unusual songs. This one is a uh, standard. Yeah, I would call this a standard. It's a Don Olam. Uh, Don Olam is a prayer, part of the the daily literature, and especially on the Sabbath literature, liturgy, and it is one of those pieces that you can sing any tune to. It's just, it's written in such a cadence that you you name the tune and it works. So this is the Kesser Torah College Choir and they're singing their version of Adon Alum. I think you'll like it. I'm in love. 
Torah College of Sydney, Australia, and their version of Adon Alum. We have on line Michigan Senator Mallory McMurrow, serving the 8th District in the Michigan Senate. She is also the Majority Whip. Recently went to Israel, and that's what we're going to talk about, a recent trip to Israel. How are you today, Senator? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Good. Thank God. I have to start off with being a little glib, and I apologize beforehand because I'm very tall and I get lots of tall jokes, but you're the majority whip. And I'm just wondering, if you do something really incredible and you get things really going, do they call you the miracle whip? Uh, (laughs) I hope so. I mean, we've passed more legislation in the first six months into law than the last six legislatures combined. So I'm feeling pretty good about it so far. That's awesome. Okay, great. Okay, so now um, it seems that I've had, I've been, the show's been on for almost 30 years, and every once in a while I have another state senator who comes on and talks about their impression of their trip to Israel. There are 199 countries in the world, 193 of them are recognized by the UN. What's the fascination with the Michigan Senate and Israel, which just to qualify, when I was growing up in New Jersey, they said Israel is the size of New Jersey. But growing up in Michigan, you could put nine Israels in New Jersey into Michigan. Well, first of all, I grew up in New Jersey as well, so it gave me a good point of reference for how large or really how small the country is. And uh, coincidentally, I was on a different trip the same exact week that many of my legislative colleagues. So the number of Michiganders who are all in Israel. 
at one week, the week that, you know, Netanyahu was pushing through a, a vote that was incredibly controversial on the ground, uh, was just fascinating. You know, for, for me, not only is it important that we build economic relations with, with Israel, we have a lot of ties to many companies in Israel, but I am somebody who was raised Catholic, who's married to a Jewish man. Um, our daughter, Noah, gets to learn and, and celebrate uh, a little bit of everything, and we want to make a path for her to, to kind of figure out who she is and, and where she's drawn to when it comes to her faith. But I also know that it is an incredible point of contention here within our own constituency. There are people who are deeply, deeply passionate about the country of Israel, about the Palestinians um, in a way that, you know, for me, I didn't have that personal connection. And although my husband had been to Israel many times, I had never been. So I thought it was really important and, and jumped at the opportunity to see it for myself and meet people and, and talk to people and see what it's like in, uh, you know, a country that is the size of New Jersey, but, but, you know, one of the most important countries uh, to democracy and, and, and to the world right now on, on either end of the spectrum. Okay. That would answer my next question. So like I, I reported in my news, which you weren't online when I was reporting my news that Israel this week established diplomatic ties with the island nation of Niu, which is off the coast of um, New Zealand. It's actually part of the Cook Islands, but it's an independent state. And as far as I know, there is nobody from any delegation of any Congress or legislative body going to Niu because I guess it doesn't fare up. But you're saying, so Israel has this importance specifically for the Michigan region. What does Michigan, what does Israel have that Michigan needs? And likewise, Innovation. what does, what does yeah. Michigan have that Israel needs? Because it's going to, they're not going to have it unless, unless they get something out of the deal, too. Exactly. It is a, you know, Israel's become known as startup nation. And as we as a state, you know, Michigan is the home of the auto industry. And I think the perception of our state for way too many people is that we haven't been innovative since the Industrial Revolution, since Henry Ford revolutionized the production line, and we know that that's simply not true, but we also know that there are more startups per capita uh, that are created in, in Israel, and it's this very dynamic climate of people, um, many of whom, by will of having family members who survived the Holocaust, you know, that there is kind of this attitude of we are going to do everything possible to be creative and solve problems and create the type of world we want to live in. And we have ties to Israel in the automotive space, in the mobility space. Uh, Mobilize, a, a company that does LIDAR technology that's based in Israel, that works with a lot of our automotive manufacturers here. Um, I toured a company over in Israel that is doing vertical farming. You know, it's, it's Israel is a country in the middle of the Middle East, in the desert, as, as we think about climate change and the lack of natural resources. It was really fascinating to visit this company who's doing vertical farming completely indoors. Uh, and to see, is that something that, that we can tap into, not only in Michigan, but Michigan is an agricultural exporter as well. And, you know, I'm just heartbroken seeing the, the wildfires out in Hawaii this week and thinking about the devastations of climate change across our country and how can we as a state learn from a country like Israel to make sure that we are helping 
the rest of our American neighbors survive and make sure that they have have basic needs met um, and and allow us to tap into the innovation that we know is in our history here in Michigan. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, our guest today is Michigan Senator Mallory McMorrow. She is uh, representing the 8th District and just recently went to Israel. So how, how long were you in Israel for, Senator? I was there for about a week. Uh, I had six or seven trips or meetings a day, so I'm still decompressing and processing. <laughs> it was it, not a whole lot of downtime, but it was just a, a, a really very full week. Uh, was your were your trip specifically geared to one region of Israel? Did you get up into the Golan or into like the Galil or down south to like in the desert area where there's a lot of stuff going around as far as agricultural innovation is going on, or or just focused mostly in central Israel, the developed metropolitan Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Beersheba, Haifa area? We went everywhere. You know, I think that's sort of the beauty of, of a country being the size of New Jersey is you can get just about anywhere in, in two to three hours. Uh, so we went from, you know, the Lebanon border, the Syrian border to the as close as we could get and, and interacting with the Gaza Strip. We went to the Golan Heights. Uh, we went down into into the desert and, and uh, really looked at kind of the impact of what climate change is doing in in the Dead Sea and what that means for for agriculture and food there as well. So we were we were everywhere. Uh, I still need to sit down and write kind of every single place that we visited because it was a little bit hard to keep up. Yeah, that is a lot, for, especially for process for one week. That's like you basically went on a three week week trip in seven days, is what it sounds like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> More power to you. That's uh, that is amazing. Okay, so. Um, what was the nature of, of most of the meetings? Who were the meetings with? Were you, like, what level of official were you with? What level of business people were were you meeting with? Yeah, so my trip, I was uh, the only legislator from Michigan in the group that I traveled with, but this was a group of 13 uh, state-level uh, officials from all around the, the United States. And uh, we met with uh, one of the, the the chief spokesperson of the PLO, uh, we went uh, and talked about the conflict from the Palestinian perspective. We met with leaders in the IDF and in the military. Uh, we met with executives who, as I said, this kind of vertical farming company to kind of start uh, talking about the, the economic landscape in Israel and how we can build connections from a place like Michigan. Um, in Israel and expand the ones that we do have. Uh, we talked to professors, we talked to journalists. So it was a, a pretty broad swath uh, of people who brought incredible expertise in their respective areas to to our meetings. Okay, so you've got a, you you've got a full spectrum of perspective presented to you. It wasn't it doesn't sound like people were like hiding anything or sweeping anything under the carpet for you, which is really really good. Yeah, it was, you know, it was the, the kind of fear always when when and I think that we've seen this recently here in Michigan. I think the perception uh, if you go somewhere is that you're seeing one side of the story. And, and I can say confidently that that wasn't true. Uh, we had dinner with uh, a, a Palestinian who lives in Israel, who's an Israeli citizen and, and talking about, uh, you know, that dynamic and what it means. Uh, to be Muslim and Israeli and uh, kind of the challenges of, of what that looks like, the benefits, the, the downsides, what it means for identity. Um, we Being able to meet with 
some of the leaders of the PLO um, with no agenda, you know, just sitting down across the table and having the opportunity to ask questions uh, was was really incredible. And I think that that's something that all of us should seek out opportunities to do because it's really hard to understand the reality of the situation if you've never been there and you've never seen it and you've never talked to the people directly. And and that's what we got the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Again, our guest today is Michigan Senator Mallory McMurray, representing the state of Michigan in the Michigan Senate, has just recently come back from Israel. So, my my um, the the idea that's jumping into my head is a lot of the ideas that we have of what's going on in Israel, and the media really pays a lot of attention to Israel. Again, there's 199 countries. And right now there are 12 civil wars that are going on. And I bet the average guy, man in the street, the person listening to this, to this show, who I consider probably more higher educated, probably couldn't name more than two civil wars that are going on right now. But yet there is so much media coverage of Israel. And generally when you're dealing with media, it's not as bad as they say it is. And on the one hand, it's not as good as the other side would make it out to be. So what are, what did you find, say, with like the relationship between uh, not the what's going on with the uh, the Palestinians and the relationship between the Israelis and the Palestinians and like for example um, the security wall and how is that person is Israeli is Israeli Arab they're they're feeling towards the whole thing Senator you know it was it was we couldn't have planned to be there the week that we did. Uh, we were supposed to have a meeting with members of the, the Knesset, the parliament, on Monday of the week that I visited. Uh, and that was the week that the uh, judicial reform vote was pushed through. So our meetings were canceled. Uh, and it was really eye-opening uh, to, to be there in the middle of that week because from home, you know, I was getting texts and phone calls from family members who were deeply worried because if you read the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of the coverage back here at home, it looks like the entire country was on fire. Yes, you and, were going to die well, if you were in Israel. That's what it was. Exactly, like. exactly. Yeah. You know, and my, my staff was deeply worried. Do I need to come home? Do we need to get a flight? And we sought out protests. You know, I I went down and spent time with the protesters. And I think something that really stood out to me was, unlike a lot of what we've seen back home, an overwhelming majority of the protesters in Israel were carrying the Israeli flag. So deeply passionate and patriotic about the country and pushing back against what they viewed as as government overstep, which I think we in in this country, um, I'm a Democrat, we can can deeply relate to as we've struggled with, you know, the presidency of Donald Trump and and what we view as the destruction of democracy in our country. But, you know, there there was a day when I was in Tel Aviv where I went for a run in the morning and I took a swim in the Mediterranean Sea and and things were fine. And it gave me a really strong perspective that I started to think about, you know, what do people in other countries, think about the United States. I don't think we are covered quite with the density and the focus that that Israel is per capita. But now I'm horrified to think, do people in other countries think the the United States is nothing but January 6th and school shootings? And recognizing that it is the media's job, I think, to seek out conflict. A a story about this was a normal day and things were fine is not going to get clicks or eyeballs. Um, and with the, the relationship with 
Palestinians that we talk to, certainly it's it's tense and people are angry and upset, but there are positives. You know, meeting, as I mentioned, the Palestinian Israeli citizen who, you know, his his grandmother was forcibly relocated during the war, um, but but they ended up moving back and he, and he really respects the rights and protections that he has as an Israeli, but struggles with the fact that he doesn't always feel like his Palestinian identity is recognized. And that is a very kind of nuanced perspective that I don't think we always see in the media coverage where it's very black and white and it's very violent. And uh, we met with a journalist who pointed out that, you know, not not to take away any of the violence because violence is always horrific, but there have been more fatalities in Indianapolis in the last year than there have been in Israel. And there isn't, you know, wall to wall coverage of violence in Indianapolis. Understood. Yes, that's absolutely 100 percent true. Thank you very much. Okay, so the state of Michigan, so Southeast Michigan, where where your district comprises, has a uh, an Arab population which actually dwarfs the Jewish population. Have you gotten any type of uh, um, comments or anything from the from the Arab population about your trip to to Israel? You know, I I have not. Um, I represent a much smaller uh, proportion of of the Arab American population than maybe some of my colleagues do. Um, but you know, as I said, I'm I'm happy to sit down and say I will take and visit. Any place that invites me, because I'm somebody who I go in to learn and with eyes wide open, and I don't think that I could fully understand the deep level of passion that people feel towards towards Israel and, and to the conflict and kind of where they sit. And I didn't feel like I could accurately step into those conversations in a meaningful way without seeing it myself. Um, so I haven't received any pushback so far. Um, but I think it's it's something that we should not shy away from difficult conversations. And I think that we in, in Southeast Michigan, and this was something that I had that some of my other counterparts on this trip didn't have, we're a very unique place in that we have a significant Jewish population, a significant Arab American Muslim population living side by side, and we can lead by example. I know many of the religious organizations have teamed up um, about shared values and, and, and peace and how we can work together. And, you know, as I think about this connection between Michigan and the United States and, and Israel, this is something that you asked about what, what do they get out of it? I think this is what we can get out of it. We can lead by example in showing that this can work and we can live together in, in a way that uplifts everybody. Okay. Understood. Okay. So what was your, your greatest takeaway? What was your biggest disappointment? And how is Michigan now a better place since you went to Israel? You know, I I think my biggest takeaway was realizing how fragile democracy really is. Uh, I was in our state capitol here in Michigan on April 30th of 2020 when armed protesters stormed into our building. And there were four heavily armed gunmen with AR-15s and full tactical gear right above my head in the Senate gallery. Um, and I look at my, my daughter, Noah, now she's two and a half and it really made me recognize that none of this is guaranteed. We have to work for it. We have to show up and we have to vote and we have to organize. 
and it's not guaranteed. But to see the difference, you know, of, of living through the April protest in our state capitol, which, if I'm very honest, I think was the precursor to what we saw in Washington on January 6th, and seeing the protests in Israel, where, again, the overwhelming consensus was it felt deeply patriotic, that it was Israelis, you know, proportionately, uh, I know the ambassador to, to Israel said that it would be the equivalent of 40 million Americans protesting across the country. And it really... It was deeply moving to see how much people were willing to fight for democracy in a way that that has inspired me in my work to keep going. Um, my my disappointment, not a lot of time to process. So that's the one thing if I could have built in, you said it yourself, this should have been a three week trip and not a one week trip. So I've got to sit with it uh, for for a good amount of time and kind of go through my notes and, and what I saw and, and who I should follow up with, you know, getting contact information of everybody I've met with. Um, but I'm really, really glad that, that I took a week uh, to do it. And how is Michigan a better place? Because Senator Mallory McMurrow, who is the Senate Majority Whip, went to Israel. I think Michigan is a better place because we will continue to push and, and fight for democracy and the right to vote. You know, that's something that, that I've been um, leading on, trying on here in the legislature, expanding access to the ballot, making sure that people's vote counts and that we eliminate barriers to voting. Uh, and, and also in those economic ties, you know, if we can build some of these connections between our startups and, and the startups in Israel, uh, I think that that is nothing but a net positive for us as, as Michigan tries to reignite you know, the, the level of innovation that we had at, during the Industrial Revolution and, and lead on, on what's going to be next. And I think we have a lot to learn from each other. Uh-huh. Do, you see there, do you think there'll be any, like, concrete financial gain with ties to Israel and Michigan now because of your trip? Pretty early to say because I just got back, but I hope so. You know, I, I've got cards and contact information that I want to follow up with directly and see, you know, if we can start to build partnerships. We've had a good run of uh, companies recently, smaller startup tech companies, announcing their U.S. headquarters in Michigan. Uh, and if we can add another example to that story, I think that is a, a great success for all of us. Okay, that's wonderful. That's going to do us. Any any closing comments before we? I've asked all my questions, Senator uh, Mallory McMurrow. <sighs> I, you know, I, I it, for anybody who hasn't been, I can't put it into words. I mean, this is the the feeling when you get to travel anywhere and kind of get out of your own bubble. It's just it's. It, so worth doing. And I would advise anybody to kind of stay away from the headlines and see for yourself, explore a place and, and make your own opinions about it. That's wonderful. Okay. That's going to do it for us. We want to thank you so much for taking uh, some of your busy schedule and coming on and enlightening our audience. And we wish you continued success and we reserve the right to call you up with any uh, future developments, Senator Mueller. Absolutely. Please do. Okay. Thank you so much. We're going to be, uh, that's going to do it for us for this segment of the show. Thank you. We are going to back into some music right now. This is Barack Grossberg and Ariel Zilbert. The song is Sama Lecha Nafshi. Sama Lecha Nafshi Kama, 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 kama Lecha Besari Hey, 
צמא, 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 צמא לך נפשי. כמה, 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 כמה לך בשרי. היי! צמא, 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 צמא לך נפשי. כמה, 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 כמה לך בשרי. היי! צמא, 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 צמא לך נפשי. כמה, 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 כמה לך בשרי. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week's portion is the portion of Shoftim. There are... It's just a list of mitzvahs. This week's portion, next week's portion, just a list of mitzvahs, one right after the other. 
And when I was in yeshiva, I drove my the rabbi who taught the class nuts because there is an idea that what comes next is also something that needs to be learned. So I said, well, why is this one next? Why is this one next? It got to the point where he would even preempt and say, this is the next mitzvah because. But I'm not going to go into that because you could get really into some minutiae when you're talking about juxtaposition of commandments. Instead, I'm just going to focus on one. The verse says, Lo sasug gvul re'echa, you shall not encroach on the border of your neighbor. The literal interpretation, as one might think, if you're talking about encroaching on borders, is, this is, you know, for the people, Moses is in the desert, and people are um, going to, they've been told, you're going to be inheriting pieces of land, and the land is going to be apportioned by tribe, and the tribes were, were the borders of the tribes were, were delineated in the book of Joshua, but each tribe was divided up by the number of people in the tribe. It was like, you know, if there's 100,000 people, so this tribe got divided into 100,000 parts. But it doesn't say in the, in the Torah or the Bible any place where, you know, otherwise we'd be reading about it, where those 100 parts, the borders of those were, that this guy was next to this guy, that guy was next to this. No, it doesn't say any of that. So it's very possible a guy puts up his mark and says, this is where I'm supposed to be. And they were told it's going to be so many cubits wide and so many cubits long. And so we're told that this person had to stick to his border and by encroaching on someone else's, making their border just a little bit bigger, they'd be making somebody else's a little bit smaller. And this is the question that comes up, well, isn't that stealing? The answer is yes. So why is this a separate commandment? It's to <laughs> that somebody who does this is culpable to punishments, one for theft and one for low sasigvuriecha, encroaching on a border. Now, this concept of hasagas gvul, if you, I specifically quoted the verse first, because in uh, my neighborhood, if you say the expression hasagas gvul, people don't think about fences. What they think about is, for example, that if you have uh, dry cleaners and somebody opens up a dry cleaners right across the street, that's going to deter and take away from your livelihood. And it could very well be that that person's not allowed to do that. He should go around the block, down the street, whatever. That's called encroaching on a person's livelihood because in Israel, because it was an agronomic agricultural society. So if you're per making that person's land smaller, that means that they're, you're encroaching on their livelihood. So the idea of hasagas gvul fits the idea or is referred to as the idea of not engaging in anything that will take away from somebody else's livelihood. And it gets really, it has to be, this is case by case by case by case by case. Because can a Thai restaurant open across the street from a Chinese restaurant? You know, this type of thing was a Thai restaurant, but you could say they're both restaurants. You know, so if the Thai restaurant wouldn't be there, I'd, I'd go to Chinese. But now I have a choice. I can. I said, well, tonight I'm going to have Thai. I had Chinese yesterday. That type of a thing. So it's it's all very uh, it's the 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 laws of Hasagas Gvul are probably one of the more complicated to iron out. And there have been cases in the city of Detroit, for example, where people were told you have to close your business.
because there is not enough of a market for two of such businesses. So it's it does things like that do happen. So and of course everybody's everybody from the second business is all upset. What are you talking about? And this is like whereas in American trade, American jurisprudence, it's like it's competition. It's like the opposite of monopolies and these type of things. So this is not we're not talking about monopolies. We're not talking about unfair practices. We're talking about a person being able to make a livelihood. If there is a butcher shop where a guy's making millions of dollars and a guy opens up another butcher shop and now the person who's making millions of dollars is only just making a million dollars. So there's a good chance we could say, listen, you can you can live on a million dollars. It's okay. You don't need millions of dollars. But then what if you're not opening a business? Lots of people don't open businesses. How does this mitzvah, how does this commandment of encroaching apply to us personally? And we say that if we're reading it, it says, you know, there's a lot of mitzvahs. There's 613 commandments. Some of them we can't do, but none of them are obsolete because they still have that personal aspect to them. As we, the, the idea being that every character that's mentioned in the Torah refers to a character trait of ourselves. Every nation that's mentioned in the Torah has refers to some reference to our own persona. So every mitzvah for sure has something relevant to our own person. We have a desire for the spiritual and the godly. The Yetzir Tov, We have a desire for the mundane, or maybe even the profane, the Yetzirah, the Nefesh Bahamas. So the godly soul was put into our bodies to make the world a better place. The reason why the world was created was in order that the world be made better. So the function of the godly soul is to do that. That's its job. The function of the animal soul is to provide, of course, your your body, but the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, its purpose is to get you not to. It's trying to encroach on the business of the godly soul. So we say, lo sasagul reyecha. And it's interesting, the word reyecha doesn't necessarily mean neighbor, it also means your friend. So, but reyecha, yeah, neighbor. So they're both in the same, in the body together. So we're told that, and you come back and you can say, wait a minute. We're told, and according to Jewish uh, mysticism, that the animal soul comes into the body first. So it's the godly soul that's doing the encroaching. So it's, not exactly. The animal soul was is to be considered like a squatter, and the godly soul comes in and says, "Get and basically get out of my house," because this body was created not to be able to sit and eat ice cream. This body was created in order to perfect the world. So, with that, we have to under therefore understand on an own personal level. That what's, what is that aspect of our persona that really is the important part is that part which is searching for and engaging in 
the performance, uh, excuse me, precisely engaging in making the world a better place. The idea being, and how much do you have to make the world a better place? At the end of the day, you should look back and say, well, the world is a better place simply because of this. Okay? Like I asked, uh, I was not expecting Senator McMurrow for earth-shattering uh, headlines when I asked her, how does she think that Michigan will be a better place? I was expecting for a little thing, and exactly that's what we got. She expressed something which was which was reasonable, something which was personal to her. That's what a person has to do at the end of the day. Am I, it was the, is the world better now because of what I did today? That's what we're looking for. And that's what we get from the portion. If you would like to get in touch with me, the way to do that would be to jump on over to rabbifinman.com if you're listening on some kind of podcast media like, uh, for example, now Stitcher is becoming, got sucked up into uh, into uh, Sirius XM. So if you're listening on Sirius XM or if you're listening on Apple Apple Podcasts or iTunes or, or iHeartRadio or Odyssey, whatever it is happens you're listening to, Okay, Spotify, we're all it's all on there. So jump, you can jump over to rabbifinman.com. If you're listening on rabbifinman.com, you have to wait till the end of the podcast because otherwise the show starts over again. It's a pain to push it up to this point where I'm going to tell the Hasidic story, which you don't want to miss the Hasidic story. So, but at rabbifinman.com, you'll find the archived editions of the radio show. You'll find archived editions of various other media in which we present Judaism in an entertaining and educational way. And you will find the very important donations page. We are on air 29 and a half years. And it's pretty amazing. When I started this, who knows? Someone told me, you've been doing this for 30 years. I was like, what? Where? I, mean, I started this when I was a little kid doing this show. And uh, it's every month we do the same thing. We ask for your help. Please go to the donations page. Let's make sure that we get the Jewish hour to last for another month. Okay. And uh, there have been months when, yeah, we've been three months behind. You know, the uh, Salem Broadcasting Corporation is patient. Around three months, they get really testy. But uh, I tell people, listen, if we get it paid, if we get the month paid for before the end of the month, then I don't do this and you get a longer story and everybody benefits then. So go go click on the donations page and uh, make it a monthly donation. doesn't have to be. You can do that. That's all through PayPal. It's all very quick, easy, and, uh, and it's an easy thing to do. And it, you don't even have to think about it anymore. You're doing a mitzvah without even thinking about it. How cool is that? If you would prefer to use the conventional ways of sending donations, well, you can send a check or any monetary or in-kind donation to The Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. And you might want to also check out Jewish Ferndale. That's the address, 1725 Pinecrest Drive is the address of Jewish Ferndale, which is under the same umbrella organization as the Jewish Hour. And check out what's going on over there. And we've got lots of things going on. We have a story. There was a scholar by the name of Simcha of Bubraka. Bubraka is a village located many miles 
east of Gross Point Farms. I, I, judging from the characters of the story, it's probably Western Ukraine. I have no idea where Bubrak is. I don't think it exists anymore. So he was actually a commentator on the Talmud, and um, we're talking late 1700s, early 1800s. When he was a young man, a younger man, he got deathly sick at the point where he was confined to bed. He was not a follower of any of this Hasidic stuff, this new stuff on the block, this new philosophy. And he was, he was actually, he was a misnagger. He was in opposition to it. But his mother was a person of great belief. And she saw that, what has she got to lose? So she ran to the great tzaddik, Hasidic leader, Reb Eli Melech of Lezhansk, and started crying that her son is, is dying. So he calmed her down and said, your son will be fine. He says, but he has to do the following in the following order. And if he does this, he will be fine. Next week, the Parrots, the local landowner who owned the village, is going to have a huge party. And at that party, there are going to be three doctors from the huge city of Lvov, which Lvov is, is Western Ukraine, it's on the Polish border. And you'll ask them to please come and look at your son. And your son at that point will be in a weaker condition than he is now. And they will say, we really don't know what to do about this. As they are walking out, one of the doctors will trip and fall down. And as he's being helped up, another one of the doctors will say, oh, maybe this and this medicine will help your son. And he will make up this medicament, and because doctors were then were into apothecary, apothecary also, you will administer it and he will get better. After he gets better, he should make the trip to my twin brother, Zush of Anapoli, and there he will find peace of mind. And you have to follow this to the letter of the law. Everything I just said. Okay, so this woman is like amazed. Okay, she gets back, her son is like weaker, like, you know, totally, he cannot, he can't hardly pick up his head from the pillow. Next week, there's a big party by the par, it's by the landowner. So she runs and she gets to, talks to the, the head butler over there. She needs the three doctors and could the three doctors come? And of course, they're doctors and if there's a sick person, they come, they take a look and there is no way they can help. And what the next series of events happened, the, the doctor fell down, they wanted to remember, they made a whole, they made a whole prescription for him and... As soon as she started administering this prescription, he started getting better. After he was well enough to start walking around, so the mother told the story of how he got better. And the son, this Simcha of Bubraka, said, we have to go to Elimelech of Lejeunce to thank him. So off they went. And as soon as he came in, Rebbe Elimelech took a look at him and said, have you gone to Annapoli? Have you seen my brother yet? So he said, I'm not strong enough yet. And he said, make sure you get to Annapoli. So they had a little chat, whatever he went. But eventually the man did make himself, make his way to Annapoli. Annapoli is a little tiny village. That's already white Russia. So Ukraine from, if you're talking about the Lvov section to, to white Russia, you're talking about the, the whole entire Ukraine. It's a big journey. It is. 
And as soon as he walked into town, he's like walking the streets. How am I going to find Zusha of Anapoli? Somebody came up to him and said, Simcha, you need a place to stay for Shabbos. You'll stay with me. He's like, who is this person that he knows my name? I'm a, I just walked the first time I'm ever in Anapoli. So he saw a teenager. Like, see, the guy walked away. He said, who is that? He asked the teenager. The teenager said, that's Reb Susha, our Rebbe. So he was so happy, like right away he got it. So as they're sitting there conversing, it's before Shabbos, and Reb Zusha said to him, I want you to come with me to the mikvah, to the ritual bath before Shabbos, which is a lot of people have custom of going to the mikvah before Shabbos. And he said, you, you are, when I'm in the water, you should come and immerse in the water with me. So he did. When he came out of the water and they're getting dressed, so Reb Zusha said to, to Reb Simcha, you had some very serious questions in the Talmud, didn't you? She said, maybe before Shabbos, you should maybe take a look at, at your questions again. So he went up, went to the, the nearest synagogue over there. He took out a tome of Gemara, and he had these serious questions that had been bothering him, really thorny questions. And he saw his questions were not questions. They were all answered. He had all the answers to all of his questions. And needless to say, he became an ardent follower of Zusha of Anapoli. That's going to do it. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.